Welcome to Taking It All Off. I'm Bianca from the Office for Sexual Violence, Response, Support, and Education. And I'm Charlene Lewis-Sutherland from Student Housing Residence Life. This is the podcast that brings you informative, insightful, and sometimes hilarious information about sex, sexuality, love, and intimacy from students and other McGill members. As always, we're excited to welcome guests to our show to highlight their unique insight and relate our topics to McGill context. However, it should be said that the views expressed in our podcast are representative of the speakers themselves. Taking It All Off is a podcast focused on creating and promoting a sex-positive world. For this episode, we focused on the positive aspects of masturbation, an angle that's not often discussed, to bring you informative, fun, and empowering information on the benefits of being a masturbator. Here's some of that conversation. I'm Fee. Uh, I'm currently studying psychology at McGill. Um, I work for Healthy McGill, specifically under drug and alcohol education. Um, yeah, and I'm from Botswana in Southern Africa. My name is Shanice Nicole, and I am a spoken word artist, but also a sex educator. Um, my name is Eve Parker Finley. I work at McGill at the Seed Office, but I also host a sh- uh, radio show on CKUT called Transistor Radio. It's a trans talk show. My name is Melissa Garrido. I work in res life here at McGill, but I'm also a sexologist, a clinical sexologist. And I'm from Montreal. I'm from Montreal, but my parents are from Guatemala. Uh, so my name's Daniel. I'm in my fourth year of a PhD in neuroscience. And I also write for Pornhub Sexual Health and Wellness Center as uh, their expert on the brain and sex. So that's definitely what I'll be contributing today. Awesome. So we're just going to dive right in to talk about masturbation and say, well, what does it mean to you? Euphoria. Joy. Escape. Fun. Exploration. Self-pleasure. Self-love. Dirty fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Stress relief. Procrastination. (laughs) Procrastination. We actually uh, talked about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, what is procrastination? Uh, It would be, I need to do something, and I have a limited window in which to do them, but I also have some alone time, and I have some internet, and I will masturbate instead of doing the thing I need to do. I have to say that I only learned about that at the end of my degree. (laughs) Like, as the term or as the practice? Yeah, both. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, because um, based off of, like the season for scientists, I'll see a change in the amount of procrastination that I do. So grant season, there's a lot of masturbation (laughs) that goes on because grants are a pain to write and it's the best way to sort of let myself know that, yeah, you know what, you're not a scientist for like a few minutes and your life doesn't suck for a few minutes. (laughs) So um, we heard a couple of thoughts on what masturbation means to you, but masturbation isn't so widely spoken about in a positive way. But there was quite a few positive words around the table. I think it's important for us to kind of situate ourselves and look a little bit at the history of masturbation and how we've come to be here today to be able to talk about this so publicly. Um, In sexology, we used to have a class in my BA where you would really see the evolution or like the sociological thinking towards masturbation. In the past, I think it's like around... 1800s or so, 
kids would be taped to their beds. Like their arms would be literally just taped to beds just to make sure that they wouldn't sin at night because like it would be negatively constructed if it was. And so we've come a long way. Like I'm really, really happy to be joining you today and like knowing that this is, you know, this is the past Mm -hmm. of masturbation. I definitely grew up in a a religious family in a religious town, um, a very small town in, in rural Ontario. So a lot of the ways I learned about masturbation, but also porn, I think there's like, I learned about the two things sort of connected to each other, um, was around this like rhetoric of sin, but not, not coming from like my family directly, but I knew it was that. And my family's very, we're very, we're in the Protestant tradition of Christianity. And I think that, that masturbation as sin is like more prevalent within like a Catholic tradition, but that was always something that was like on my mind reference to my, like, exploration of my own body. Yeah, I think one of the the threads in terms of thinking about masturbation across, like, all different experiences um, is that, like, common thread of shame and stigma, and so I think even regardless, like, even if you're, say, coming from a a more open family or town, it's still, like, the stigma that exists within society, Mm -hmm. so it's still, like, that that piece of, or that thought process of, like, oh, you're doing something that's wrong, but it's so interesting, because I'm just like, how can something that feels (coughs) so great be so wrong (laughs) first question yeah and then also just like this idea for me it really connects to that question of like who who has like the right to their body and who has the right to pleasure Mm -hmm. and so also thinking a lot about um children and our fear about children exploring their sexuality in their bodies Mm -hmm. yet like (coughs) babies masturbate in the womb um and so we have this intense fear around oh my god if a child is I don't know, explores a part of their body, whether it's their genitals or not, and finds pleasure there. Um, our like tendency to stop that from happening, or the shame around that happening. I remember reading this article about this little girl, and she was like masturbating at the dinner table. And so the mom like wrote this article about like her responding to her daughter masturbating at the dinner table, and like basically the two options are like you can one shame this child. And that will have, like, a long-lasting effect, likely. But what she just did was had a conversation about, like, where potentially masturbating is more appropriate. So, for example, in a bathroom or in her bedroom where she has a bit more privacy and maybe not at the dinner table around everyone, which, like, I understand can be maybe an intense thing to reflect on, but to me just, like, makes so much sense in terms of mm-hmm. creating capacity for, like, thinking about boundaries and what's appropriate and what's not and how that shifts over space and time. And how that carries through our lives in mm-hmm. terms of how we feel about ourselves, how we uh, engage with our bodies when we're told at such a young age to not touch ourselves or not to do things in a public space. Right. When I was younger, I was a babysitter for a family of, with three kids. And um, one day I was at the soccer field with them and the youngest was on the field and he loved playing with his penis he just <laughs> thought it was the funnest thing you know you can buy him any other toy he wanted his penis <laughs> so he's standing in the middle of the field and all I hear is the dad shouting from across get your hands out of your pants and play ball <laughs> and until this moment I never thought of it as a shaming aspect I thought of it as an empowering like yes families around we should all talk to our kids around about mm-hmm. touching ourselves and I didn't ever feel like it was a negative, but I wonder how other people interpreted or how maybe that little boy interpreted, or if maybe he just knew his father and for him it was just normal. Yeah. Does anybody else want to share um, 
kind of their thoughts on the evolution of masturbation. Yeah, so I'd like to take it more from an evolutionary psychology perspective, because, I mean, we can talk about evolution in different ways. And I think a lot of this religious stigma comes from the idea that, you know, sex and our genitals are supposed to lead to reproduction, and I think that's where a lot of stigma comes from. Uh, evolutionary psychology is pretty clear about this. We have sex because it feels good, uh, not because we proliferate or we, you know, repopulate a species. So there are some organisms like um, some, some apes that will have sex to solve problems. Um, and to dominate, and has nothing to do, there's also gay sex uh, in the animal community. It's interesting that if you sort of um, get a rat to cross an electrified grid to go to a mating partner, that rat will do that. They will literally go through pain for the pleasure of sex, even though um, that that other rat may not be an estrus and, and fertile. So um, I think a lot of the stigma comes from this idea that, you know, sex is meant to uh, lead to reproduction, but that's objectively incorrect according to the evolutionary psychology literature. It's, it's really for pleasure. To go back to what you said, Shanice, like mm -hmm. it's, I remember being a teenager. I'm in my mid-30s right now, and I remember that 20 years ago in Montreal, uh, being Latina in a like, Quebecois, French-Canadian environment, and I remember being in parties where like me and my friends were talking about masturbation, but there was only a gender that would address it. Only men would openly say that they masturbated and that they enjoyed it. And now was, I remember very clearly being the only female telling everybody that I did. And seeing all my friends and like, you know, not knowing if they were t telling their truth or not, mm -hmm. but like saying that they didn't, you know, like that they, they did not do that. And like, I guess maybe, I hopefully right now that it's changing, you know, and that maybe teenage girls feel more comfortable admitting it or doing it, you know whether they do or not. That kind of brings it back to the question we were asking, who's allowed to masturbate? Exactly. Is everyone allowed to masturbate? So the idea that maybe some people feel it's more openly talked about, therefore it's okay to participate in it, and then if there isn't a conversation about it, then maybe it's not okay to participate in it. I think that like, ultimately leading to who's allowed to have sexual pleasure. Even when you watch, I know there's like a lot of femme porn, but like even when you watch porn, like. Who is it made for? Like, who is making it? And, like, sex is still a construction that is made for male desire. And, like, yeah. this whole... We have spent thousands of years, like, not encouraging female desire. And, like, it, it has led to, like, many difficult and negative consequences on women. But it's just crazy to think that even masturbation would not be, like, uh, a possibility, like, 20 years mm -hmm. ago, you know. It was, but like only to the very brave, you know. So it's interesting. So uh, Naomi Wolf, a pretty famous sociologist of feminism, and Jim Faust, a neurobiologist of sex, um, actually got together and had an interview about this idea of female pleasure. What's interesting is that if you look in sort of humans, there's this sort of male-centric idea around sexual pleasure. Mm -hmm. um, but in the animal kingdom, females actually more often control sex than males. So uh, female rats have something called a vaginal code, and that's basically the number of intromissions that will uh, most optimize her fertility for ovulating. So it's sort of a stimulus-dependent response where they ovulate after a certain number of intromissions. And so the female will actually control the number of thrusts that the male makes. And so in the animal kingdom, sex is like more often a female thing. And it's so interesting that as humans, we sort of, um, we pathologize it in females. 
you know, animals are probably doing it right then. <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking, um, I think also one of the challenges, I mean, with all things, but especially around sex and bodies, we like think in really binary ways. Um, and so I think that also makes it challenging for a lot of reasons. And we also like leave out a lot of people and like, a lot of different bodies back around like children, especially. So one thing um, around kind of like reinforcing that binary of like, girls do this, boys do that, or want this, want that. I especially see that when I've like done a lot of work with young people. And then what happens is like the pressure to like conform to those scripts. And so what you end up having is again, within this binary model, you'll have a lot of like young girls who adopt this idea of like, not allowed to have access to my body, not allowed to feel pleasure, to explore, all of those things are bad. But then the impact on young boys is that like pressure to one, like really want or really want all of the time in terms of sex and exploration. Um, that kind of myth, uh, common piece about uh, like men never wanting to say no um, and so you kind of see that reinforced even like in young kids and teens as well in terms of like feeling the pressure to, ad to adopt to those norms and those scripts, even though that may not be their experience. Um, but like, again, the shame that's reinforced by like being someone of a particular gender who's now not ascribing to a particular way in which that person's supposed to even think about or enjoy sex. So I'm like super interested in doing some like unlearning around gender specifically and bodies and like and what that looks like in this in these conversations. Mm -hmm. So um, you sp use the word uh, binary a lot. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, in a really kind of basic, basic way, like binary is kind of just like this, the idea of, of having only two options for things. So if we're thinking about a gender binary, then the idea of there being two options to be a man or a woman. Um, and what we know that that um, is very expansive. I think also there's binaries in different ways in terms of I think even, for example, the binary around, like, genitals or, like, mm -hmm. reproductive systems, right? So the idea, like, these are the two ways in which genitals can exist, mm -hmm. and then everyone who doesn't um, fit within that are, like, either overlooked or underlooked or ignored or just shamed. And so it's just, like, for me, the shame that keeps coming up everywhere we go. Thanks, Shanice. Yeah, I think that's super interesting when, when you think about, like, people with different, like, intersex variations mm -hmm. and, and how... Uh, how much information is available to them to yeah. understand their own body and how their like unique body works in terms of like pleasure and all those things. Yeah. So everywhere I search, I find articles with headings such as, is masturbation good for you? Is masturbation healthy? Can masturbation lead to a dysfunction? Is it normal to masturbate? I'd like to spend some time to unpack kind of these questions, even these headings to research papers um, that I've been finding online uh, to break down some of these misconceptions and to, I feel, and the next question is going to be empower our uh, listeners to engage in masturbation if they want to. Mm -hmm. So what do these titles mean to you? Is masturbation good for you, Daniel? So that's an interesting <laughs> question. <laughs> from sort of from like a, a clinical perspective, I'm going to take it because this is where my training is in. Um, from a clinical perspective, you know, anything can become addictive. So the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Health for in our fifth edition uh, doesn't refer to masturbation as an addiction right now. Behaviors can become addictive. Uh, it's just that when that behavior begins to interfere with social, personal, and occupational functioning, uh, that we become concerned uh, about it becoming dysfunctional. Um, but before that, you know, it's just a regular type of behavior um, and can be uh, beneficial for your well-being. 
Uh, it's just that, you know, as long as it's not crossing that threshold of, of interfering with your daily life, you know, if you sort of skip appointments to masturbate or you no longer go on dates because you're home masturbating, then that becomes an issue. Uh, but up until that point, it's, it's just normal human behavior. Melissa? Uh, to, to follow on what you're saying, like, I think the addiction the, that's the most associated with masturbation may be porn addiction. So that's the more, I would say, maybe negative idea around masturbation. But besides that, like, it's so, so healthy. It's so good. It's, that's the way to get to know your own self. Like, that's the first step to, like, having a good sex life. That is the first step to, like, having an idea of what you like and, like, being able to experiment with yourself first and then you're like also experiencing with other people if you want to but it's like it's so the opposite of what those titles were <laughs> that I, when you were reading when you were reading them out loud I was like oh my god I can't believe this is still online like it's just the extreme opposite of that I want to throw that out there and kind of ask uh, maybe you lived in residences um, when you went to school in your first year. What does this mean for living in a communal space and or with the roommate and or with, uh, with like, flatmates? Yeah, that's Eve. an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> Just as someone who's been uh, a resident and a res lifer and a floor fellow. Um, I think it's also interesting to see how first-year students negotiate, like, sharing a bedroom together. Mm -hmm being people in their late teens and being humans who who like masturbate and it's like diff you know like I think I even I can't quite remember if I actually did this or not but I think I tried to like if people wanted to negotiate that between the two roommates like it's not a thing that is that should be like a stigma or whatever like it's okay to like have a conversation about it if like you need to but I think it's you know it's also interesting based on the architecture like the hotel residences you have a private bathroom but like what about the some of the upper residences where you like you share a bedroom and you share a bathroom I don't even I don't even know frankly because like people do masturbate so like they figure it out but it's interesting how how they, little it's talked about I guess they probably learn each other's schedules yeah I imagine oh, running back so to your dorm yeah, <laughs> it's my time <laughs> Time to masturbate. Uh, it brings me back though. When I was younger, I did a lot of traveling, and one morning I woke up um, beside my friend. We were in different beds, and he was masturbating. And I was lying there, being like, first of all, I don't think I want to hear this, but good for him for masturbating. And now I don't know how I feel and what to say. And I think, you know, we don't have enough conversations around the fact that so many people do masturbate and for a lot of us it's okay so what stops us from having these conversations um, and I think that goes back to the evolution of where have we come from um, in terms of understanding our bodies who's entitled to touching themselves and why is it still difficult for us to feel empowered to talk about owning touching ourselves I keep using touching ourselves but it could be anything <laughs> Do you look like you have something to say? Yeah, um, so one thing that me and my friends do, well, we refer to masturbation as soft love. Um, so we could be, like, on the phone with each other, and then, like, one of us would be like, okay, well, I need to go love myself now. Um, so we'll talk later. I, I absolutely love that we do this. And at first I thought we just, we became more comfortable in speaking about masturbation because we've gotten older. Um, but I also think that now it's, socially more okay as a woman to 
Masturbate. Um, so going back to the evolution of masturbation, I do think we've come quite a ways along. Um, but yeah, I definitely associate masturbation with self-love and self-care and like de-stressing, especially like during finals time. Like mm -hmm. we're doing so much time, we're spending so much time studying and not really taking care of ourselves and masturbating is one way that we could in fact take care of ourselves and um, as Melissa mentioned earlier getting to know your body and like understanding who you are becoming more comfortable with your body becoming more comfortable with yourself what you like what you want um, so yeah self-love Okay. And why That's explore crazy. that with somebody who you may not know? So we were talking earlier about our episode was um, online world apps and communication. And so a lot of the conversations that we have through our episodes are about consent and exploring, you know, the way we feel comfortable in sexual situations. How empowering would it be if we knew ourselves first before awkwardly kind of finding out what we like with somebody else and how do you even ask for something that you don't even know what you like I just sorry I just want to know do you hang up or do you put each other on hold no oh. okay. <laughs> 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 that that VRB could you put some music on yeah. too in the background <laughs> Um, I, I want to take it... Oh, did you have something? I do. Bianca, I think it's a really interesting thing, but not the question you're asking, but it makes me think about something, which is that I think consent is, is something you practice between people, but I think it's also something you practice with your own body. Yeah. Uh, and I remember getting my first, like, toy and, like, using it to explore some feelings and some things that I like, and then realizing it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, working for me or something at some point. And I remember telling a friend, I was like, it's amazing to play with yourself with a toy because you can just be like, if you're like, I'm not into this anymore, you could be like, okay, well, it's over now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and, but to like allow yourself to be like, oh, I'm actually not into what I'm doing right now anymore. Mm -hmm. And then to like cut yourself off from something you're not into probably like builds up your the consent negotiation skills with other people too. And going even further with that, psychologically engaging with the toy. So I have I toys at home that are still in their packages. I bought them because I want to use them, and I can't bring myself to use them. Mm. Now, I think that's a whole other counseling session for me. <laughs> 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 what does that mean? And I think it brings you know, that conversation around consent even mm. further of mm. how can I not allow myself to use this toy. Right. There are two words that I I'm, feel like I'm constantly talking about, and that's body autonomy. And I feel like when we talk about... Um, masturbation or consent or even talking to younger people about um about their bodies mm -hmm. and and uh, you know you you spoke about like the the binary the gender uh, gender binary what they're supposed to um, inhabit or what they're supposed to live or what it's supposed to look like quote unquote um I feel like the conversation that I always want to bring it back to is the idea of body autonomy and like you have control like this is yours and you have control over it and trying to hopefully reinforce that right. and maybe that leads to breaking down stigma. Yeah, I think even like based on body autonomy, I think one thing that's also really important that I don't think we've um, acknowledged yet is also just the fact that um, some people are like not into masturbation mm -hmm. and not because it's mm -hmm. like, you know, they're not comfortable or don't want to kind of explore, but also just because it doesn't, doesn't work for them. Like that's also okay. So I think there's also just like this pressure with all things within like sex and sexuality to like have to do things or have to do them in a particular way as well. And so I think for me, body autonomy is like literally about giving people a choice in all different ways. 
whether that's to do something or to not do something and to respect that and to not have people question or challenge or, or shame people into feeling like their body is wrong or their like interest in connecting with their body is wrong. Yeah, and going back to talking about in communities, our immediate reactions to people's behaviors or non-behaviors also leave a profound impact. So if you are going to respond to somebody saying, you don't do that or mm-hmm. you've never tried something like that, can really isolate somebody and put them in this, you know, position of powerlessness, but also of, is there something wrong with me? When we talk about residents and living in closer quarters, you know, how do we, how do we have these conversations and what are our immediate reactions Mm -hmm. um, doing for other people? One thing I loved when I was in res um, at Concordia, so not here at McGill, um, but we had a company that like sold sex toys came into res and they did a presentation. We got to buy sex toys and they also like did a raffle and I won uh, a vibrator which I was so excited about um because I still have it I do (laughs) it's still my favorite one um (laughs) but yeah because it was my second my first vibrator got as a graduation gift from my cousin which is really exciting (laughs) it's exciting (laughs) hide it under my bed my mom is gonna listen to this later so (laughs) she's getting used to it um yeah so I mean that was also interesting to be in like my first year at Concordia that was probably was in my agenda for months I was really excited about the day but also just kind of that that could be a really weird thing for maybe people who are coming from different spaces um to have that type of like really open conversation to have like sex toys on a table Mm -hmm. yes within a residence but kind of like still at your school so kind of like challenging again this idea of like where we talk about sex I think is also a piece and so when we're talking about sex in school I think there's a lot of like politics and feelings about sex being a thing that's like supposed to be in the home but then in like the education piece for me anyways it's this idea like okay you're supposed to learn about sex from your parents or whoever's at home but that's often not the case and so that's why school has become the place of learning but then the schools are doing such a bad job and so we just have like this what we have now as a result I think in a lot of ways. I'm going to actually throw that to Fee with Healthy McGill um, and talk about your shag shop and how Healthy McGill goes around campus as well, talking about different contraceptive methods, different sex toys, lubes, products that you have. How, how does the community receive you? I think when a lot of people first arrive at McGill and hear about Shag Shop, it's really like, oh my gosh, this is a thing that's so exciting. I can't believe like you're selling sex, sex toys on campus. Um, so um, I think really people really appreciate that. Um, also just how easy it is to purchase something from Shag Shop. So it's online um, and then there's a pickup location. So it's also kind of anonymous too. Um, so people also really appreciate that. And then in terms of outreach, it does get a little iffy when we talk about um, sex a little bit and like contraception. Um, I think for the most part, people receive it very well. And we're just trying to get the information really out there and keep people as informed as possible. Um, let p- make people aware of like the different resources available for them, um, all the different options that they have, understanding that you do whatever works for you, whatever feels right. So, yeah. yeah. Was Shag Shop always online? Uh, I'm not 100% no, I, sure, to it, be honest. It used to be a physical space in the health services um, mm-hmm. unit, and it's. I remember the change happened since I've been here six years ago, and people. I know people who were worried about like they're not being a physical space anymore so it's actually great to hear that people actually appreciate the like online ordering and picking up and that makes a lot of Mm -hmm. sense to me actually so throwing it back to um how masturbation can be a form of sexual empowerment um is this the first time you've 
heard about this concept or is this something I think uh, Melissa spoke to earlier is definitely something that you believe in Mm -hmm. is there anything else people want to add I would um, I would say first of all like when people go see sexologists whether men or women like or trans or other like when it's about sexual desire or sexual pleasure we often would just go back to like do you masturbate and do you enjoy it like it really is like the beginning of the analysis to know what's going on with that person so it, it's to me like that's like the first step like the bottom line like the first step into really knowing yourself and like really exploring and like really just your own contact with your own self like I, I, I keep repeating myself but it's really step one like uh, in 2005 the Quebec government phased sex ed out of the public school curriculum, which means for over 10 years, there's been little to no sex ed in public schools. They phased it out with nothing to replace They were it. supposed to, people, teachers were supposed to do it in like, yeah. they were supposed to integrate it into their other classes. But so, I'm a math teacher, if I want to talk about reproduction today for my lesson, I can do that, but I have like no support, no curriculum, no resources. Or, I don't know if it's for sure, but I always question, like, what's worse, bad sex ed or no sex ed? Um, mm, good question. So <laughs> that's, for me, really important. And as a response to that, the Sense Project at Head and Hands was created, and so we were doing inclusive and anti-oppressive sex ed with youth um, to kind of fill some of that gap. And so within our programming, we definitely would talk about masturbation, along with a plethora of other things. And it was also interesting to see how there was a lot of resistance and pushback to having those conversations in schools um, and even things like resulting in like which schools would be comfortable with us coming in uh, and having those conversations and so you see the challenges there as well um, but I definitely think it's something that needs to be talked about again the shame and the stigma and the fear and this idea of like specifically penetrative sex but this like fear that like oh my god if we tell the kids they're gonna do it mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. so I used to always um, I, fr- I wish I knew who first told me about it, but thinking of, like, sex and talking to, to kids about sex and, and condoms specifically, if you think about rain and umbrellas, and so the idea that, like, just because you leave your house with an umbrella doesn't mean it's going to rain or doesn't mean that you're going to use it, um, but the idea is if it does rain, then you're prepared and you're not going to get wet. That's awesome. Um, and so that often helps, like, you know, parents yeah. chill a little. But it, it's the fear, right? And I think it's also... I mean, I think the fear also makes sense when you think about how little support and resources there are. And so it's this idea of, like, um, I'm really scared for my kid to do this because I also know that where are they learning from, you know? I think it would be different if it was, like, they're getting all of this information and support in different places, and then you have fear on top of that versus the fear of, like, literally the unknown in so many ways. Oh, and I'm actually really glad that you're talking about um, parents and fear, and even for myself, just writing this, blurb for the website and making a statement that we were going to talk about masturbation out of all of the other topics this was my only like am I going to get in trouble for this (laughs) (laughs) so it's ingrained in us and as much as we are here today talking about it and probably have um, a little bit more nuanced insight into the evolution and how we feel about masturbation we still have grown up in this society and it's hard to divorce those those norms that we've been grown up with. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd like to make sort of a, a, a quick plug since we're talking about sex education in schools. Um, so I sit on a board uh, for the Sexual Health Network of Quebec, and this is a board where we go into 
schools that talk about sex education and uh, we're recently sort of uh, revolutionizing our program and we're going to be opening up a sexual health education uh, internship so for students in social work or counseling psychology or uh, any of these fields so if you're interested in that uh, you can email me at schnuck so s-h-n-q education uh, at gmail.com and uh we're going to have volunteers, we're going to have a certificate program around sex, sexual health education taught by uh, a few well-known psychologists like Dr. Lori Batito from Passion Radio Show, so uh, look out for that. I think I'm going to move it forward a bit and talk about sex toys and prompters 101 and then kind of go back to some other questions. Um, so we talked about the shag shop, we kind of talked about a little bit about some of the things that we like. Um, Shanice, you shared a great story about your first Dildo, I believe you said? Vibrator? No, vibrator. I'm sorry. <laughs> not great strength, but oh. we're using it in its package for not reasons. Back in the package. <laughs> so, what should our audience members know about sex toys? I wish my friend Louie was here because they are my like, go to person for sex toys um, and knowledge, especially around like. Cleaning, I think there's, like, so many different pieces that we often don't think about. So, like, not just, like, the using of the sex toy, but the afterwards and the before. Um, So cleaning and storage and, like, which. Thinking about the barriers that you're using on sex toys and how those interfere with both the sex toy material and also lubricant that you're using. So I think it's, like, water-based lube for silicone toys. I think. Yeah. I believe that's And not right. silicone on silicone. Yeah. So, yeah. like, things like that. Same thing you know? with condoms, too. Right. You can't mix silicone and condoms. Right. And so, things yeah. like that, I don't know how, I don't know how, like, easily accessible that is or known, you know? I think we just, I think once you get to the sex toy store or wherever you are, like, I feel like that's, like, the furthest that we think that we get in the door. And then it's like, okay, now we have help to choose. But then after that, it's just like. Yeah. Nobody tells us how to take care of this right. stuff. Uh, talk about cleanliness. I don't know yeah. if you can speak to it a bit, but I realized later on in my um, life with sex toys, that you had to clean those things. That's yeah. pretty disgusting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, I didn't really know. You, yeah. You can even reinfect yourself with an STI. Mm-hmm. Um, with a sex toy if you don't like clean it or use like a barrier or yeah, yeah. and if you're sharing sex toys especially right. thinking about cleaning them in be- I like to say in between holes and partners so how do you clean them? depends on the toy okay. but I would say like a safe bet is generally like soap and water like a light soap like the same kind of stuff that you'd use on your body um, and they have commercially available sprays too yeah. that you can buy with the sex toys <laughs> mm-hmm. as well um, so some toys will be waterproof and some are not. So also being mindful about that and like taking out batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, Good point. All of those kind of like little logistical things. I feel like my friend used to boil their dildos. Yes. Is that, is that that's also a thing? I was also going to say that. Dishwasher, yes. Anal jeans. Top rack. Yes. Top yes. rack. Oh. Yeah. What's up with the bottom the top, rack? The bottom rack is much more, um, it gets very, very hot and it's much more aggressive. Oh. So you want to put it on the top rack. Because you like you've also it. spent some money on this right. object. Mm-hmm. You're so baking you it. To, you want to treat it really carefully. Dishwasher. The top rack of the dishwasher. Glad we clarified that. <laughs> it's definitely like temperature place, so maybe that is a thing that you want to. I think someone made a link earlier, and this isn't really a sex toy, so sorry to segue, but someone made a link earlier to talking about um, sex and pornography or masturbation and pornography. But we didn't really go there. We didn't really 
delve too much into that. Does anyone want to share anything about links between masturbation and pornography or communal or close living quarters? Um, some of the things that I know conversations or things that I've had to negotiate would be like volume or like, you know, incognito like, <laughs> like pages on incognito, the website. Incognito, can somebody teach me that? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Um, I know for me, pornography and masturbating was like a way that I, as like a, um, a preteen and a teen was the way I like explored my sexuality and looking at different kinds of porn and seeing what kinds of things turned me on or didn't and like Mm -hmm. letting myself like follow those routes that were kind of scary and like confusing at the time but looking back on it that was like having access to those things helped me figure things out um and I wish I didn't feel so much which didn't carry so much shame about Mm -hmm. having to look at those things in order to figure those things out which it did even if they were like google images safe search off or whatever (laughs) (laughs) One thing, just to go back to the the question about sex toys, I think just, I would just say trying different ones is important. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's also, like, as we talked about the the cost of different sex toys Mm -hmm. as a thing. So, I mean, I'm super down for, um, as I said, barriers are a great tool. And so even, like, sharing sex toys, like, with friends and with people to try things out so you're not, like, buy spending $30, $40 on a thing to not like it. That's such a great concept. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Speaking about that, so there is a sex toy company, uh, which I won't name, uh, so as to, to be professional, um, <laughs> that I think it honestly is marketed for a particular socioeconomic status. They're very, very expensive, and they're meant to be sort of highest performance, but right. um, they're not accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. And it was recently found that they had the capacity to actually track people's data, and this data could be you know, right. sold. So it's interesting, this idea of, like, privilege and whether or not you you can actually buy these sex toys and use them because they were so expensive. Of course. Two other things about sex toys. One, I also think sex toys is a really cool way to kind of explore different types of sex or different parts of your body that you maybe have not thought about or have been, like, nervous. So I know a lot of people, um, for a lot of different reasons, are, like, nervous about, like, butt play and mm-hmm. anal play. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like a great way of starting with, like, a nice gentle small toy mm-hmm. before maybe um, progressing to bigger toys and then flesh or non-flesh um, penises or, or objects and so that is like a cool way as well to like think about exploration beyond maybe what, again what's like your typical kind of box script can I vibe up that thing yeah. Shanice yes, just because <laughs> so good <laughs> just because uh, I think I wanted to say that earlier because like including like heterosexual men um, exploring the pleasure that they can indeed get from butt play. Um, I remember as a teen, that was something that people would, like, make fun of each other for. Mm-hmm. Be like, what? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like things in your butt? Yeah, like, I remember one kid was like, yeah, butt play isn't just for gay people, and everyone, like, laughed at him. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that's so too bad, because they're, miss- they're missing out on something that they might be super interested right. in. And, yeah, I always, like, talk about the nerve endings. I know, mm-hmm. so many. Again, so much, like, stigma, um which sucks. And then the other thing I want to say that I remember is, again, especially around masturbation um, or sex in general, we tend to, like, really be focused on genitals yeah. mm-hmm. and thinking about, like, all of the different erogenous zones on people's bodies that feel really good. Um, so masturbation is not exclusively about genitalia. And so thinking about exploring different parts of your body um, that bring pleasure. So there is actually clear neuroscience evidence that that's shown that before. Um, so women were asked to... Uh, and one of the problems with sex neuroscience is that it often only explores 
many of times just men or women, and mm-hmm. it doesn't look at gender. So whether or not these um, these these findings that we have apply uh, right. to genders is, is, is hard to understand. Uh, but what they found was in women, they asked them to stimulate their clit or um, their nipples, and it actually led to the exact same activation of somatosensory centers mm. in, in your brain. So um, focusing <laughs> on other parts of your body is represented in your brain the same way as, as maybe the clit as well. Yeah. Cool. So some of the things we see, see are like feathers, or we see p- people playing with hot wax, or um, whips, and things like that. So to think outside the box sometimes in terms of what we consider as a toy um, to, to kind of encourage pleasure and help mm-hmm. us along. Also just, um, sorry, just about nipples. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I always remind people, and so again when we think about erections, we tend to only think about penises. And so I like to remind people that, like, first what an erection is, and so it's just, like, blood getting trapped in a place. And so that can happen to penises, clitorises, and nipples. Yes. So I think that also helps, especially, I mean, all people, but in working with youth, also helping them think through, like, what is happening when erection happens and why it happens for different reasons. And so I always talk about, um, and the boys always laugh, but when I talk about, like, when your nipples get hard when it's cold. Mm -hmm. And so they always find that, like, really funny to think about, and also, like, I don't know, it's like this weird, like, they don't admit that their nipples get cold and they have to get hard in the cold. Just to, we used to, I had a, a amongst my function. friends a saying like that, like, it's so cold I could cut glass. Yeah. 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 And, and so sh- thinking of, like, <laughs> sometimes there was emotion like associated with yeah. like that. <laughs> it's just like thinking of, oh, that is, an, that is an erection happening in just a different part of your body. Can you speak a little bit more, Daniel, to when we talk about masturbation and not just like the physical but the mental aspects of it? Because I find that I would even say like for me personally, like just masturbation is not going to do it. I feel like there, there would need to be stimuli and mental, um, need to see things, certain things, et cetera. So that's a really sexy question. And, uh, again, I'll go back to the literature. And again, it's too bad that the literature mostly emphasizes men and women, uh, so it seems as though females tend to be very, very psychological when it comes to sex, so desire seems to be quite important uh, for masturbation as well. Uh, What's so fascinating is that the fantasies of women tend to actually be far more realistic than men. (laughs) So when a woman thinks about a fantasy, it'll be something like uh, a past memory of a time Mm. where she had sex uh, or masturbated and it was really pleasurable, whereas men, it'll be something like, I'm having sex with Michelle Obama, and it's like, it's (laughs) makes no sense. It's like, that's never going to happen. Um, so women tend to be far more realistic with their fantasies and more uh, psychological. Uh, men, um, they tend to be a lot more uh, visual and their fantasies are also visual as well. So if you ask a woman about their fantasies while they're masturbating, it'll be more something, more so along the lines of, you know, um, I felt a connection with this person while I was masturbating or they imagine a connection. Whereas a man will say something like, oh, well, you know, I felt, you know, how their penis felt in my hand or, or how their boobs felt in my hand. Or, uh, so it tends to be much more physical. And it's interesting that if you look at sex uh, in a heterosexual uh, context, there's always this sort of expectation that, um, that you know, uh, males tend to be a lot more goal-oriented, uh, whereas females, they really need that psychological connection. And this actually leads to this massive gap in orgasm, what we call the orgasm gap um, in sex neuroscience. And it's that oftentimes females do not orgasm during sex, and it's because males have this goal orientation and are not contributing to the psychological priming that females need uh, for for sort of uh, orgasming and whatnot. So uh, more psychological for women and a lot more visual kinesthetic for men. Mm-hmm. But I, I also think that 
so much of it must come from culture, you know. Um, it's always questionable. Like I, I know those are the findings, and it's it, it's also what I studied in sexology. But it's also, you know, that's the result of a society that did not give women the right to sex. <laughs> so they're gonna, it's gonna go through love for them. But it's also that's what they were thought mm. that that was the right thing to do, you know. And whereas men had more, maybe we can say possibilities or like. They had they had the right to desire, so like their desire might be more honest or more truthful. Like, you know, where, whereas women we tend to be like so far behind that like we have so much to catch up on. Um, I also think it's interesting to talk about like people who go through a gender transition, um, mm-hmm. especially especially people who take hormones. And mm-hmm. lots of my friends mm-hmm. are trans women who've taken hormones, and there's like so much conversation about how sex and masturbation changes. Um, including like your nipples becoming an, more of an erogenous zone than they were before, mm-hmm. um, including things like people moving away from penis centric sex or being interested in penis penis centric sex, um, people learning and people learning and like also interestingly teaching each other mm-hmm. through like a community. It's like a community building thing about new ways of dealing with their new bodies. Their orgasms change, they become longer, they become less of a spike. Um, and then people teach each other about, like, muffing. Do people know what muffing is? No. Tell us. No. Um, okay, so I would love if there were, like, any... Anyway, so muffing is, like, an interesting... I'm just... I, yeah, I hope someone listening can learn how to do this to themselves. Um, <laughs> so there's a really amazing resource called Fucking Trans Women. I don't know if I can swear, but I just did anyway. Um, it's a proper noun, so whatever. <laughs> Uh, and it's an 80-page huge zine about specifically for trans women um, and people who have sex with trans women. And in it, one of the things they talk about is muffing, which is, like, um, anyone who has, like, a penis can do it. And it's basically, like, so when you... There's, like, a cavity above where your um, testicles will, like, jump up into if you, like, te- step into, like, cold water or something. Mm-hmm. So you can actually, like, put your finger, like, underneath your balls and, like, put your finger up into that cavity um, and, like, masturbate that way. Um, and it works It works especially well. Um, it's, like, a different kind of feeling, though, and a different kind of masturbation it gives you a different kind of orgasm. And that's why it works especially well with trans women because it, like, more closely aligns with that, like, new kind of orgasm you, feeling you have, like, mm. a more prolonged feeling, less of, like, an ejaculation spike it's nice to it's nice to read about it and look how you do it but it isn't that difficult also it isn't that difficult yeah but it's like tense and it's like sensitive but uh but it's definitely possible awesome thanks for sharing eve yeah i think that's like really important that we um really like try to both like in our individual lives but also like collectively like really think about unpacking and expanding our definitions of like sex and bodies and pleasure and orgasm and all of these things which are so scripted um, and just like leave doesn't leave a lot of room for like a lot of people regardless of identity um, but especially ones who are facing like marginalization in different ways and so it's just like what what would it look like to have more open conversations and more ways to be and to do and to like participate in this um, which I think is so important and so I think a lot of it is about like listening and learning um and so as someone who 
and for me this also kind of transcends masturbation and even sex and also thinking about like relationships and so all of those dynamics that are connected and so as like someone who is both cis uh, cisgender and also straight like it's like so interesting to me how we we as in like cis het people like shame queer and trans communities so much um, but I think we have like so much to learn um, from people and just like the way for a lot of like cis and straight people the ways in which we like one like have sex and engage in sex and then also like practice our relationships are actually so weird and like really needs a lot of <laughs> work but like that is kind of set up as like the, the way to be and it's just so often like dysfunctional and and not to say that there's like a hierarchy of who does what best or whatever but I think it's really important to think about like how, what can we learn from each other um, and that being um, coming from that framework as being normalized creates barriers that uh, you know I think people don't realize are being created until people are coming up against them um, other other bodies other people are coming up yeah. against them so it is extremely important I totally want to jump on that sentiment that we like talk about it and unpack it mm-hmm. and then share and learn from each other because that's really the only way that right. hopefully we'll see change or access yeah so what turns you on so I'm definitely a, a pretty big sapiosexual um so I'm turned on by intelligence uh I think the sexiest thing is like a Friday night discussing something that we don't agree with or agree on (laughs) and then it just gets so heated and at one point it's like oh my god can I kiss you right now Uh, and then going in for the kill and honestly it's the best sex possible so that's been um something that I've looked for in, in partners i often find it hard to find, uh, but, um, yeah, sort of the intellectual connection is, is most important for me. I, I, I totally agree with that. I think we've talked about that before. I find um, intelligence and, like, a well-displayed intelligence extremely sexy, mm-hmm. very extremely sexy. Um, but it's interesting because, like, in real life, when coupling or engaging in sex with someone, I will find something sexy. If I'm actually looking at pornography or masturbating, I might actually have, like, no, I do actually have something else that um, is a particular turn-on. So that, like, I wouldn't necessarily look for that in pornography, but that would definitely get me going in real life um, before mm-hmm. engaging. About porn, I think something that's interesting for me, um, yeah, I'm not going to be, like, super specific, but one thing that I find interesting is that, like, some of the things that I'm interested in watching on porn, specifically in terms of, like, whose bodies I'm interested in looking at, are not are typically, like, not the type of um, people I am attracted to. Mm. This is kind of sounding weird. But it's it's specifically, like, on the basis of race. And so it's, like, this interesting thing where, like, what I'm, like, what I like to watch on screen is not actually reflected in, like, my own life and my interaction and my relationships. But it's, like, this interesting dynamic in terms of, like, what I turn to. And I think that's also cool, like, to be able to be, like, this is what works in this context and this is what works over here. And, like, that's fine and it's not, like, a a huge conflict. But I think that's also important when we think about like exploring because it tends to be like only explore the thing that you like or the thing that you know or the exactly. thing that like makes sense to you you know and I think again expanding what that definition is could be really cool for people and then also find out what you don't absolutely don't like and then that's mm-hmm. also good learning I mean that's kind of the beauty of porn too it's also its dark side but it's also <laughs> a beautiful thing that you get to like and that's why I'm so grateful honestly grateful to porn stars who like they're like athletes to me because they <laughs> enact they get they enact fantasies and things that I then get to enjoy as a person by myself alone and not actually have to go through like the physical trial of a thing 
Um, so I'm like grateful that it gets to be represented mm-hmm. and I get to watch it and I get to engage it, consume it, and not have to go through it myself too. But also just like, you know, you can get turned on by things just to build on that. You can get turned on by things that you don't actually want to like do or that you will right. do in, in real life. Yeah, that's totally. like fine. Yeah, sex workers totally need way more everything, but credit and love and support and recognition for the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, going off of what you said, Eve, um, I like literature. Um, so like erotic stories, not necessarily like full on books. Because that right. takes a long time. Like, skip to the chapter that you find most interesting. Forget <laughs> <laughs> um, pages on. Exhausted. Oh no. Um, yeah, but um, so like shorter things, and like you said, you s- read about like a scenario or like a fantasy, and like you don't, you're not necessarily reliving it, but like in your mind, in the privacy of your home, then you get to kind of relive it and not actually go seeking that specific scenario. Right. So yeah, I think reading really works too. Do you have like a particular book that you want to share with the audience? Online resource. Um, Literotica, I oh, think it's called. Oh, yeah. Oh my so God. nice and short really quick. Oh, yeah. Nice. Or even like scene, like specific scenes within movies. Like not even yeah, movies yeah. that are erotic, but... Yeah. Yeah. Like this is really fucking weird maybe. I don't know. I haven't seen it in a long time. But I remember you sit like as a child being very aroused by... Okay, and I think it's Batman Return... What, the one with Uma Thurman, when Uma Thurman is Poison Ivy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the scene where the thing, um, whatever, all the poisons fall or whatever, and then she mm-hmm. kind of, like, becomes Poison Ivy. I just yeah. remember having a lot of arousal around that scene, and as a, like, as a child, really exploring my body and probably masturbating or whatever to, to Uma Thurman. Now this is yeah. forever recorded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We watched that this weekend. Well, I think we're going down memory lane to wrap it all up. Thank you so much for sharing um, all of your stories with us today and your thoughts on masturbation. For our audience, let's kind of walk down memory lane. Masturbation memory lane. So tell us a story about masturbation or an anecdote that you want our listeners to leave with about masturbation. So we talked about kind of the diversity of what can turn you on, that we can think outside of the box, that it's okay to like something in some spaces and not in other spaces and not to be afraid um, to explore just because um, they don't line up. Um, Is there anything else you want to share about yourself? I have a story to share about a time that I was masturbating. Um, It's probably the worst thing to do when you're tall and have low blood pressure is to masturbate in the shower. So I did that, and I fainted. (laughs) And it was at home at my parents' house, and they, like, came knocking on the door like, oh, my God, we heard this big bang downstairs. Are you okay? And I'm, like, sort of regaining consciousness (laughs) on the floor of the shower. Um, So, yeah, that's sort of the, the one uh, salient away. experience that I've experienced since we're going down memory lane. I remember when I was first starting to masturbate, and I feel like the first erotic things I used to do was my parents would leave would would leave me home alone, and I would just like get naked and just like walk around. <laughs> and how, like, amazing that felt just to be like naked and how like wrong and but like good it felt. Right. Um, but I distinctly remember it's like so clear in my head the first time I like figured out how to like jack off and the first time I like ejaculated Mm -hmm. being like what the fuck is happening (laughs) like did I just pee (laughs) Uh, 
and like how yeah but then like going on the internet and figuring out what just happened and then right. being like oh thank god for the internet okay <laughs> that's what just happened how old were you when that first happened um 24 no that was like <laughs> nothing wrong with that but i was like well 13 or something probably i feel i mean i've talked about personal aspirations already but i want to actually um plug a friend uh, Cameron Moore, who um, was pretty known in Montreal, but I think she's in... It's <laughs> now in, in this podcast. Yeah, in the Europe. Yeah, so hey, Cameron. Um, and she's really cool. And so she actually, I want to say she was like the founder, but she hosted an event in Montreal, I think multiple times, and it was a master beta-thon. Oh my God. Oh, so, word. Yeah. <laughs> and so people would like get together in this space and just masturbate. And so she would get, like, pledges for the number of, of orgasms that she could have. And so it was, like, really yeah. cool. So I just and think... fundraisers, too, right? Yeah, yeah, For, like, organizations and stuff. So and cool. so I just... So cool. That's, like, the, the anecdote that I want to show that's not mine. But I think it's really cool, and I love Cameron more, so... And people coming together over it. Yeah, um, and just the coolness, the chillness of, of doing that in that space. Uh, there's this video that I saw recently, and it's just close-ups of people orgasming. Oh, so cool. it's just watching their faces and there's nothing in the background and how different people express themselves and it's beautiful. It's so empowering. So I, I kind of feel like that space would be similar to this mm -hmm. little video. Uh, I have a bit of a story. Um, so I remember this one time um, I had like masturbated, I think it was like three times in one day and I was feeling really shitty about it. And so I phoned a friend like, oh my God, this is what happened. Um, and then she's like, dude, don't even worry about it. I masturbate like that all the time. In fact, I beat my record like five times in one day. So um, I think with that, I felt so much better about it, being able to turn to a friend and be like, this is what happened, I'm feeling weird. And she was like, no, it's okay. It's normal. It happens. It's fine. Live your best life. Aww. So, yeah, that's my story. Self-love. Well, Self-love. <laughs> well, on that note... We hope our audience will also live their best lives with yes. the information that we've given them. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for talking to us today.